If you're using one of the Bibles underneath the chair in front of you, we're on page 524 in those Bibles. And if you don't own a Bible, please feel free to take that one with you. That's our gift uh, to you. We come today to one of the most widely known events in all of the Gospels. This is Jesus' entrance into the city of Jerusalem, what has become known as Palm Sunday. If you uh, grew up going to church as a kid, you very likely made some kind of craft with palms. And uh, we don't have crafts for you today in that regard, sorry. Uh, If you didn't grow up in church, maybe you've heard of this story. It is uh, in all four Gospels. There are very few events in Jesus' life recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That uh, alone should serve to highlight the significance of the moment represented here. But don't misunderstand me. This is a commonly heard story. It's probably commonly misunderstood, though. Simply hearing an event doesn't mean we've understood it. If we misunderstand the story of Palm Sunday, we don't just misunderstand that story, we misunderstand the gospel itself. So I hope today that we can work hard together to hear it with fresh eagerness and anticipation about what the Lord might say to us. Justin, one of our students here, is going to come read for us. Come on up, brother. From John 12, 12 through 19. How much longer do you have until you leave? I uh, leave June 4th. Justin's a senior and is enlisted. will be leaving us June 4th. So thank you for reading for us today, brother. Yes, of course. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took... So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out loud, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes to the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he, has done, he had heard that this had been done to the sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining at nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Awesome. Thank you, buddy. Enthusiastic over here. Uh, This story, more than any other we've come to in the Gospel of John thus far, drives home publicly the truth that Jesus is the long-awaited, highly anticipated King. That's always been true of Jesus, but it's at this point that this becomes publicly proclaimed. Last week, If you were with us, we saw in the anointing of Jesus in the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus that Jesus accepted a private recognition that he is the king. But in this story, we see him publicly recognized. 
I would admit, uh, like you, that when we first read this, it might seem that this is so far removed from anything we would ever experience. It might be difficult to understand the significance of it. But let's pause from our busy lives for what will be a relative few moments if you consider these next few minutes in light of the rest of the week to thoughtfully consider the implications and meaning of this important historic event. Frankly, I want to try to answer a question for you today that you're not asking. Nobody woke up today considering the question that this text presents to us. However, if we address the question you're not asking, then we very much will address a question you are asking. So first, let's consider the question you're not asking. How is this the announcement of a king? It is strange. It is an odd story. It has weird details. It's not what you would expect. In what way is this story the announcement of the king of Israel? That's the question you're not asking. Let me give you three ways that this story does that. Number one, there is verbal appraise. As Jesus took the journey from Bethany into the city of Jerusalem, he took a a road that you can still go on today. He entered through a gate that you can still enter through today. It's incredible. Same city. He went into the city to the shouts of the people. The crowds were cheering, Hosanna! 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 The fill, the, the, his ears were filled with the praise of the people. Remember the moments just prior to this that led up to this. Jesus had gone to the city of Bethany where Lazarus had been dead for four days. And Jesus simply spoke a few words. And out Lazarus trotted from the grave. Crazy miraculous moment. This, no doubt, raised the stakes greatly in people's understanding of who Jesus was. Because that event showed that Jesus has power over life and death. And even more so, Jesus has power to give spiritual life, which goes on forever. Jesus apparently then left Bethany, came back a short time later, and he had this moment we looked at last week in which There was a reception, a meal in his honor, and crowds of people were coming to hear Jesus teach, to see him, and not only to see him, but to see Lazarus. It's not every day you meet a guy who was dead and now came back to life. And then just after that, the next day, Jesus takes this journey to Jerusalem. He enters Jerusalem to the praise that he is the long-awaited king. The crowds are calling for his coronation. They're doing it in language that seems quite different than anything we would ever say. They're saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. That is a, a quote of a psalm. Psalm 118 verse 25 says, save us, we pray. That psalm was written in Hebrew, and 
the Hebrew word transliterated into English is the word Hosanna. Hosanna means save us, we pray. The next time you're playing some goofy trivia game, you'll know now. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So the crowds, as they were chanting this, cheering this, worshiping Jesus in this way, are saying, we recognize that you are, in fact, the one that that psalm was about. You are the one that's prophesied about everywhere in the Old Testament. You are the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Messiah sent by God to deliver us. Why did they say that? Well, in large part, it seems in the Gospel of John, what's highlighted is they said that because the story of Lazarus showed the great power Jesus had. Unmatched power. Jesus is the one who would come from God to bring the blessings of God to the people of God. So the first observation we would make about the question you're not asking, that question is, how is this the announcement of a king, is that the, there's an uh, enormous crowd of people praising Jesus, announcing that he is the king. Second, there is not just verbal praise, there is symbolic praise. You see, Jesus entered the city of Jerusalem with palm branches being thrown on the ground in front of him. There were people coming into the city of Jerusalem and coming out of the city of Jerusalem, two crowds colliding, praising Jesus and throwing these palm branches that they had brought down onto the ground. There's no question what they meant. They meant this is our king. Our king is finally here. And we recognize that by throwing these palm branches on the ground. Now that's weird to us. But think of them like rolling out the red carpet. This is a way of publicly recognizing this is a unique person. This is our king. The Old Testament never called for this. We'll talk about it in a few minutes exactly what it meant. But the bottom line is this was a sign of a triumph. We see Jesus as king, as rescuer, as the one bringing salvation. So that's the second reason that this is the announcement of a king. The third I'll just mention. We won't go into it much. But not only was was their verbal praise and symbolic praise, but there is incredible prophetic precision to this story. It is knitted together, knit together in such a way. Is knitted a word? Knitted? It's, it seems like someone is passionate about this. Allison, are you doing it now? Yes, she is. She is an authority on the matter. This is knitted together with great precision. To show everyone, this is the moment you've been waiting for. This is the king. This is the deliverer. The point couldn't be any clearer. Jesus is the long-awaited, highly anticipated king. But wait, there's more. Anybody seen an infomercial this week? That's what they do. 
we're going to sell you this and this and this, and if you buy it now, 1995, you'll get this. I have a this for you. Here's a bonus reason. You're on your feet, highly anticipating this, right? Yes? Jesus accepted it. Jesus took the palm branches. Jesus accepted the praise. Jesus didn't correct anyone. He didn't say, shh. Now, why is that a big deal? Well, because he'd been doing that over and over and over, all through his life up until this moment. When he fed the 5,000, for example, we looked at earlier in the book of John. Took a little bit of bread, a little bit of fish, prayed, somehow miraculously fed an enormous crowd. There was even leftovers. And then they wanted to make him king by force, John told us. What was Jesus' response? He ran away. And every moment prior to this, in public, when there was a recognition of we want to make Jesus our king, Jesus said no, and he left. But here, he accepts it. That is your bonus reason why and how this is such a critical moment of accepting Jesus as king. The entrance into Jerusalem with all of the praise is an incredibly unusual departure from the norm in the life of Jesus. He embraced the worship. Now, why does this matter? What difference does it make the way Jesus, 2,000 years ago, took his journey from Bethany and made his way into Jerusalem? Well, that takes us back to my earlier statement. The question you're not asking is, how is this the announcement of the king? This is the announcement of the king because he accepted verbal praise. He accepted symbolic praise. He went out of his way to show he is the fulfillment of the prophetic message. And he did not turn away from what was offered him. But that leads to what might be the most surprising thing. And that's the question that you are asking. Maybe not out loud. Perhaps no one close to you even knows that you have asked this. And if you haven't asked it, it's simply because you haven't lived long enough yet to. The question is this, God, why are you such a disappointment? God, why haven't you done what I thought you would do? God, why haven't you met my expectations? God, I believed your word said this would, and it would mean this and this would happen, and it hasn't. God, you're a disappointment. We don't start there. It's much more benign than that. But friend, if you face something difficult and you don't resolve that matter in prayer, through the Word, by the Spirit, with brothers and sisters, that is where you will inevitably end up. God, you are a disappointment. 
This story, this historical event of Jesus walking, riding into the city of Jerusalem answers that most pertinent and difficult of all questions. And I want to take the few remaining minutes that we have to show you why. Friends, this story is not all stickers and puppy dogs, ice cream, and fireworks. There are some hard things here. Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem happened on a Sunday. He entered Jerusalem on Sunday hearing, Hosanna! 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 But on Friday of the same week, he heard, crucify him. Crucify him. On Sunday, he accepted praise. On Friday, he accepted nails. On Sunday, they announced him as king. On Friday, a sign was nailed above his head mocking him that said, King of the Jews. How in the world does that happen? Sunday to Friday. Humanly speaking, it happens because the crowds moved from anticipating what they thought Jesus would do to severe disappointment over what Jesus did not do and then falling prey to the false teaching about him. They were disappointed with Jesus because he didn't meet their expectations. And they killed him for it. You and I will be disappointed with Jesus because he will not meet our expectations. And we will walk away from him unless we understand the kind of king he actually is. Jesus is the long-awaited, highly anticipated king. Although his kingdom is often misunderstood. And this story shows us that. You, as you, we know, because we're alive and we're here today, that there are a lot of people with the flu right now. Have you had it? It is brutal. If you haven't had the flu, you've probably had a cold. There's a whole lot of people with a bad case of the colds and a bad case of the flu. In John 12, there's a lot of people with a bad case of kingdom confusion. They are shouting, praising, cheering, announcing, and they don't have any clue what they're talking about. The palm branches, let's start there. The palm branches are the best picture of their misunderstanding. As a child growing up hearing this story, I thought the palm branches were cool. That they, they were a significant symbolic token of their worship of Jesus. Little did I understand. They are the epitome of their confusion about Jesus. You see, they were waving and tossing them in front of Jesus, not with a sense of worship and wonder and awe, that Jesus was coming to save them from their sin. But out of a belief that Jesus was coming to save them from Rome. 
more than gathered worshipers. They were a nationalistic mob proclaiming the victorious might of Israel that had finally come to rescue them from the Roman Empire. You see, the crowds thought Jesus being king meant he was coming into Jerusalem to rally the people, to drum up nationalistic interest, to get all the guys together that they could go and finally be their own nation again. That isn't why Jesus came. They're shouting, Hosanna, 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 throwing down their palm branches, saying, God's going to save us from Rome. That isn't why Jesus came. In fact, it has nothing to do with why Jesus was entering Jerusalem. The Jews were not ultimately captives of Rome, but captives of sin. Under the wrath, not of the emperor, but of God. They needed to be set free from their bondage to things they couldn't stop doing. Not to be set free from things that were being done to them. Their problem was sin, not Rome. Now, How do we know the palm branches had anything to do with that? Well, actually what they were doing, if I could say it rather provocatively, is... Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna is something much closer to God, make Israel great again. This was all about political power and nationalistic interest and not about God coming to rescue them from themselves. How do we know that? Well, you've heard of Hanukkah. Yes? Hanukkah is the celebration of an event that took place about 200 years before Palm Sunday. You see, back then, the Jews were dominated by a different uh, nationalistic power who ruled most of the world at this point, and they couldn't worship in their own temple. And a group of people named the Maccabees came in with armed resistance and temporarily took back not only the temple, but the whole city of Jerusalem. And there was one of the Maccabees who they proclaimed as their own king. And when he came into Jerusalem, guess what they did? They threw down palm branches. Now, fast forward about 40 years after Palm Sunday. The second Maccabean revolt took place, in which another Maccabean came, temporarily conquered the Roman leader in the area of Jerusalem. And as that Maccabean entered the town, guess what they did? They threw down palm branches. Not only that, in this second temporary small little conquest, they even had their own coins made. Guess what the symbol on the coin is? A palm branch. Friends, nowhere in the Old Testament... Is there any kind of instruction, command, or example? Throw down palm branches when the king comes. This 
all developed out of the people being sick and tired of foreigners ruling over them. And the palm branch was a symbol, not of worshiping God, but of nationalistic, political triumphalism. And so as Jesus came in, they weren't thinking, God save me from my sins. They were thinking, we're about to kick some Roman rear. And the palm branches were the symbol of it. They missed it. This was not a sign of respect. It was a pronouncement of power. Friends, that's not what Jesus came for. So how did they go from Hosanna, this is our king, to crucify him? It became obvious in the span of six days. Five days. This isn't what we thought. This isn't the king. But it wasn't just the crowds that were lost. And I find tremendous encouragement in this. The disciples were lost too. Are you, do you ever feel confused about what God's doing? You're in good company. Look at verse 16, the first half. His disciples, these are the 12 who traveled with Jesus, slept with Jesus, ate with Jesus, had little side talks of instruction with Jesus for years. His disciples didn't understand the things at first. They had no clue. They did not know what was going on. And this is best pictured in a donkey. So if palm branches weren't weird enough for us to talk about, now let's talk about a donkey. I recognized yesterday as I was preparing for today, I should have got a donkey today. Because what we're going to talk about for the next 10 minutes may be the most important thing you will ever hear. And if we'd had a donkey, you wouldn't have forgotten. So who would like to volunteer to come be, quit nudging your neighbor? Look at verse 14. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. Just as it's written. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold your king's coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples didn't understand these things at first. But when he was glorified, that means after his death, resurrection, and ascension, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. Friend, remember when you read your Bible, there are no superfluous, unnecessary details. Often, the things that seem the strangest carry the most powerful punch. And this is one of them. The donkey matters. And that's not a political statement. This donkey is incredibly important. This donkey is the key to your disappointment with God. Jesus went out of his way to get a donkey and to enter the town on a donkey. Now this is the most unusual, perhaps, of all the prophecies fulfilled in Jesus. In Zechariah chapter 9, so Zechariah, if you turn back a few books in your Bible, you'll find Zechariah. This is the second to last book in the Old Testament. 
Not Malachi, the last book, the one right before it. Zechariah wrote his prophecies about 500 years before Jesus came. He was a priest who was part of the people of God that came back after they'd been deported. They came back to Jerusalem in great anticipation that they were now going to live back in the land and in the blessings of God. But 20 20 or so years passed, so two decades. That's longer than a lot of us in the room have been alive. Two decades had passed, and the people in Jerusalem still were not doing very well. Their temple had not been rebuilt. They still had a foreign power over them. They had no king, and they were discouraged. And so God sent them a messenger. His name was Zechariah. And Zechariah said, your king is going to come. Don't be disappointed with God. God loves you. God is working through your hardships. God is going to rescue you. Don't turn your back on him. There will be a day of peace. And you know how he said it. He said there's going to be a king come on a donkey. That's weird. But here it is. Verse 9. Rejoice, verse 9 of Zechariah 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming, righteous and having salvation as he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim. And the war horse, that's important, from Jerusalem. The battle bow shall be cut off. He shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Jesus wasn't into that dumb child game, pin the tail on the donkey. There's something really important happening here that's hard for us because we're so culturally removed. No, this is Jesus self-identifying. He's the one that said, go get the donkey. He's the one that got on it. He's the one that made sure I'm riding that thing into town. Why? Because he's saying, I am the Messiah of Zechariah 9. All right, pastor, that's nice trivia. So what? Again, the donkey is the key to your disappointment. When you were a king and you rode into town, you didn't ride on a donkey. You rode on a horse. Why? Do we have to explain it? Have you seen a donkey versus a horse? A donkey is little. A horse is big. It's that simple. Napoleon, Alexander the Great, they didn't ride donkeys. They rode horses. A king rode a horse into town to say, I am here with all the might of my empire, and you are now conquered. Jesus rode into town on an animal of peace. 
He wrote in that way to say, I am not here to shed the blood of the Romans. I am here to shed my own blood. I am not here to have a crown of gold placed on my head. I am here to have a crown of thorns mashed into my skull. I am not here for your petty little throne. I'm here to extend peace to all of God's people in the whole world. The donkey is the key to your disappointment. Jesus is the prince of peace, not the king of war. Jesus came to give you peace with God, not to give you resolution to every earthly problem. Jesus is strong. Don't misunderstand me. And next time he comes, it ain't going to be on a donkey. He's coming as judge. But this time, this entrance into Jerusalem, he rode in this way to show us the nature of life in the kingdom of God, the nature of his kingdom, the nature of how power is harnessed in the kingdom of God. Power is perfected in weakness. Strength comes by giving up what is rightly yours. You see, in stark contrast to the arrogance of trust in human might, Jesus would usher in the kingdom, not on a horse, but on a donkey. This king would be for, not against his people. He would rule with peace. He would rule by giving salvation. He would rule by conquering death, the devil, Satan, not the peon in Rome. Do you see how important that is to your own life? The things you're asking God to do, God, I need a better boss. This one is mean. God, my health sucks. Would you heal me? God, I can't pay my mortgage again. God, Susie is mad at me. God, I want a spouse. I'm lonely. God, we've been trying for years to have a kid. I think we're doing it right, but it's not working. (laughs) Friend, all your troubles, God is not saying, I don't care about you. But He is saying, you should be far more concerned with eternity than with these little triflings. He is saying, I as your king will give you the power to persevere through any and every trial. But not necessarily by removing them, but by giving you strength to endure. He is saying, your greatest foe is not your boss, not your lack of spouse or money, 
Not that degree you thought you needed, but you failed. Your greatest problem is you, is your own sin. And Jesus came to rescue you out of it. The key to disappointment is found in the weirdest of places. It's by seeing that Jesus is the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, not the magic genie who removes every problem you have. The places we're most disappointed with God can be resolved by a donkey. Jesus is the long-awaited, highly anticipated king. But just like back then, his kingdom is still often misunderstood. Friends, God's message is not make America great again. God cares far more about the kingdom of God and the global church of God than he does who holds any political office. And that's really good news right now. God cares far more for your soul for eternity. That's why he gave up himself to rescue you from the wrath of God. This is such good news. Friends, you and I can be just as disappointed and confused as the crowds who went from Hosanna to killing in the span of but a few days. We can be just as confused as the disciples who spent all this time with Jesus and still didn't know what was going on. Our fallen idea of power and authority is often wrong. This is why it's so important for us to remind each other of Jesus' central message of discipleship. If you would come after me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. If you would take up the way of God in the kingdom of God, follow your king, you must get off your horse and get on a donkey. This is how life works in the kingdom of God. We come as persons of peace, even to our enemies, even to those who harm us. We turn the other cheek. Life in the kingdom of God is not about earthly power and might and getting what we want and being healthy, wealthy, and wise. Life in the kingdom of God is about denying ourselves and following our king because he has filled us with the spirit, infused us with his power to do the very same thing the king did, lay down his life. That's how the king works. If you want to not be disappointed with God, then friend, live your life in his power, understanding how things work in his kingdom. I know it sounds weird, but the way up is always down. 
This is what our king does. Before we go, let me give you three, four, maybe 12 ways to put this into your experience. Number one, if you have never bowed yourself before the king by accepting him as your Lord and Savior, Won't you do that today? Friend, your greatest need is to be reconciled to God. And you cannot do that. But Jesus offers himself. Because Jesus died in place of all of God's people. Our sin was transferred to him. He died under the wrath of God because he was a perfect substitute. So your sin can be transferred to him and all of his right standing with God can be transferred to you. That's the miracle of the gospel. You just must turn to him and accept this gift. There is no magic prayer to do that. There is the posture of the heart saying, I'm going to get off my horse because I'm tired of getting knocked off of it. And I want to sit with my king on the donkey of salvation and peace with God. Friend, if you're here today and have never done that, that is the most urgent, important thing that weighs on you. If you have questions, stay after. There are literally dozens of people in this room who have already walked that path and would love to visit with you. Number two, to those of you who already are following Christ, friends, are you listening and submitting to this good king. Jesus always and forever knows best. And he's left us with his word that we might not merely accept the gift of salvation and then do whatever we want until we die and go to heaven. But that every moment of every day we would be aiming to learn how to live this life under this good king, understanding that he's leading us every day to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. Being a Christian is not easy. If someone told you that, I'm sorry. They lied. They were wrong. Being a Christian means doing all kinds of ridiculous stuff you don't want to do. It means telling people about Christ in ways that will scare you to death. It means telling your boyfriend or girlfriend, I was wrong to have sex with you. I'm going to stop. Not because I don't love you, but because I love God more. It means enduring the lack of kindness at times from people in authority. Do you need more examples? You don't. You live them. But do we listen to the king and obey him? He's left us with his word, infused us with his power. The best kind of life is not a life of anarchy. It's a life of slavery. It's a life of servanthood, of submission to the king. Because this king always does what's best for his people. Number three... Turn from misconceptions about this king and his kingdom. 
We're full of them. I know I have been. And likely still have things I don't yet recognize are wrong, that are deep inside of me. Misconceptions about what I think God will do. God said, Jesus said, in the world, you will have trouble. But take courage. I have overcome the world. The king will get us through whatever the king guides us into. Even if that means we die. Finally, live the kingdom life by dying daily with joyful intentionality. Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow him. Yes. Why? Because this is the way the kingdom works. This is how the king guides his people. This is the way in which the king himself lived. We will not experience anything different. The very best life you could ever have is a life of dying to yourself. Because it's in that life that you will find the power and the presence of God the most palpable. Let's pray. God, in this most strange of all stories... We got palm fronds and donkeys. We have met with you. Would you please now take your word by your spirit and do your work on us? I pray for people here today who have been disappointed with God for years. And they still put on a Christian face, but there is no prayer in private. There are no tears of joy with you. There is just dread and drudgery and disappointment. God, would you breathe your mercy upon them. Restore them to the joy of their salvation. Would you guide them to get on that donkey and ride with King Jesus in his peace? God, I also pray for people who have not yet crossed the line of faith and accepted this king. Father, may they not leave the room today without resolving that issue with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.